Well, greetings today to our foundational faith uh, family, also to Destiny Bible College students and any others that are listening today. This is uh, another episode of Daniel chapter number 11, and uh, this will be part four of Daniel class seven, part four. Now, we're going to attempt to come to a conclusion today with the 11th chapter. And with that said, uh, we're going to try to brief some things in reference to that of the Antichrist, uh, some of his character, and maybe uh, some of this might be repetitive, but then again, some things that are tied in with historical of that of the house of of Judah. And uh, then for uh, showing a portrait of the Antichrist to come. I want to turn to not just the book of Daniel today, the 11th chapter, but I want us to turn to actually 2 Thessalonians. And I want us to look at chapter number two of the, of the book of 2 Thessalonians. Now, when you're studying the epistle of, or the epistles of the apostle Paul to the Thessalonica church, we, and I'm just going to briefly mention this because I think it would be uh, good to do so. In the first epistle, he is addressing things in reference to the uh, Arpadzo or the coming of the Lord by that fourth chapter. Now, we see more so in reference to that of the end time and that of the Antichrist and uh, things uh, there that portray to that that would be after the rapture in the second Thessalonica writing or second Thessalonians or to the Thessalonica church. There's several verses here we could read. Um, but, uh, well, well, I will, I'll read a few of them here. Um, I wasn't going to read from the first verse, but I believe I will. I was going to read somewhere about nine through 12, but let's, let's read a few scriptures here in, uh, second Thessalonians (laughs) chapter two. And if you don't have your Bible, make a note so that you can go back and read it. And hopefully you'll, you'll, uh, read it, uh, yourself with us right now. Um, it says in verse number one, now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall come shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not, (coughs) excuse me, that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. Verse number six, and now ye know that withholdeth what what withholdeth that he might be revealed in this time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And when shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth? and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. 
even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. We're down to verse 10. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God sin God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And then let's look at verse 12. And they all might be that they all might be damned and believed who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, first of all, we've got to remember that the Apostle Paul had already addressed this to the Thessalonica church. He says so. And now he's writing them. And of course, we have to we have to put in uh, the context that this has to be after the rapture or re- revealing that. Now, one of the things that I think that is something worth speaking of in this passage of scripture is how the uh, statement, and it's all but like a question, but the statement that's being rendered in verse number eight, and then shall that wicked be revealed. Now, there's many of us, and we've even talked about this in class, who possibly could be the Antichrist. And we all come to a conclusion that we are consensus that we definitely believe that the Antichrist is living as we speak. Um, And there's a lot of projective thoughts of whom it might be. We could be correct. Uh, There again, we, I believe that I'll make the statement that I've said before. We know that there is the spirit of Antichrist that's been working in the ages. Um, And we've seen the parallel of how that even the characteristics of Alexander the Great and definitely Antichus Eponese the Fourth of the Syrian um, or the Northern uh, King has had such a play of the characteristic of that of the Antichrist. And we'll be bringing some other things out about that in a few moments as we attempt to make this some of the wrap-up of this chapter. Now, I definitely, this is speaking in reference to the one that's the unholy one, that one that's going to be actually, I believe, the devil in flesh himself that's going to be revealed. And um, with what we were reading there in the eighth verse, and when and then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now, we've got to understand that this is talking about the second coming of the Lord. This is at the end of the tribulation or the closing of the tribulation when the Antichrist will be conquered. Now, let's, let's keep our thought here that I was wanting to go to is the fact that Verse 7 says, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. So we see the work of the iniquity. We already see the work of the Antichrist or the spirit of Antichrist has been in, in operation for some time. Um, and only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now, there's a couple different uh, persuasions on this. I definitely believe that both persuasions can be considered, and there may be some others that we can consider, but two that I want to bring out. What uh, what is really the restraining force right now is the definite, I believe, that we have the Holy Spirit present in the world, and also the church is still here. I believe that there are restraining, uh, restraining elements in this of right now 
because actually, if we read this passage of scripture, it gives us the understanding that uh, that uh, that he's going to be uh, exposed or come on the forefront later. Uh, let me give you something else to think about that I think that's uh, something to consider. We've used this passage of scripture so many times um, in reference to, we could even say since COVID, a uh, falling away, people that will not return to the church. Um, it, it says in verse three, except there come a falling away first, uh, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Now, uh, it's also understood, possibly this could even mean talking about the fact of us as the church leaving here. Um, but but I, I won't go into a lot of that, but I just wanted to give you that concept and thought that you can you can go into deeper. Maybe another time studying the book of uh, first uh, first and second Thessalonians would be uh, a, a good time to uh, entertain that more so. But I just wanted to bring that to your attention. Most of the time we, we, we put that in the connotation of people that walk away from Christ or those that walk away from the, the, the faith, uh, those that walk away from church. And I'm not saying that there is not a uh, consideration there, but also so also we got to understand that the church is going to be moved out of here. And I believe this is one of the restraining, one of the restraining uh, uh, of the Antichrist right now, even though the working of the wicked has been uh, revealed or we have seen it in the ages. Um, so let's move on. Uh, I want us to just to see this because it's talking in reference to him coming, him having power, him uh, exalting himself like God. And actually in verse number three, it says, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now, I want to interject this. Again, we've had antichrist throughout the ages. And one other person was called the son of perdition, and that was Judas. We see the rejection of his Savior. We see that he was there right with him. And the reason I'm bringing that out about Judas is the fact he walked with the Lord, he saw the miracles, he ministered with the others, and he totally walked away from it, walked into perdition. <laughs> now, maybe we'll, we'll elaborate on that a little bit more. Now, what I want to do is I want to go to page 306, and I want to... Uh, mention a few things as we move along with this teaching today. We have been seeing from the passages of the scripture where angel, uh, more than likely, this is Gabriel the messenger, is giving Daniel uh, these, uh, these uh, particular uh, understandings of what is taking place. So Daniel here is being informed um, that uh, Antichus the fourth um, would corrupt some of the unfaithful Jews with flattering words. Now, if you remember previous, he actually had even done that playing almost like a, a wicked Robin Hood where he actually was stealing uh, even from those in Egypt and taking and giving it to those to win their support. Uh, so, and, and then the flattery of that even. So now we see how that the the Antichrist is even going to flatter the Jews. Um, but here's the thing that I, I want to make an emphasis. There is always a faithful remnant. 
there's always those that God knows they're in place and God will raise for that particular time. And that's what even takes place with this timing that we're walking into of this particular part of the 11th chapter in, in reference to that of uh, Atticus uh, the fourth and what's taking even place in, in, in that of uh, uh, Judah or, or Jerusalem, uh, the effect that's having uh, in, in all this. And of course, we see now that Antiochus is going to attempt to flatter Jews but we understand that there was those that come to the forefront that will resist the wicked work. Now, um, the textbook deals with the concept, and I think this is uh, appropriate, of that of those that are cold or lukewarm or hot. Uh, the cold, and I like the way this is presented in our textbook, the cold are pretenders who lack true spiritual life. The lukewarm are indifferent or straddling the fence. They're trying to do both. The hot are passionate about their love for him. We're talking about Christ. The last group is the only one Jesus finds acceptable. And so Christ was not pleased with those uh, that will straddle the fence Um and, you know, if you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for anything. Uh, so we see how that this is important, and this is what's beginning to take place um, with even in this time frame of the um, uh, of Antichus IV. Now, what we uh, find that even he attempted to... Um, to bring a flattery to the high priest that was there at that particular time in Jerusalem. Um, some, uh, such as the high priest, um, Asinimus, yes, Asinimus. Um, so we see where this influence is being, even in those of the religious Jewish leadership, is being um, taken advantage of. So, those that uh, even question. So there's those not only of the religious order, but there's even those that are Jews that begin to question the word of God with flattery. And just think about the very motive of Satan. That's exactly what he did in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. He actually caused them to question the word of God. And folks, any time that we are being tested or tempted or going through any kind of situation and we know what the Word of God says, we must be hot about it. We must stay the course, stand with the Word of God and realize that if we don't and we give one inch to the enemy, he will start trying to uh, he will try to bring us to a place to bring reason, start reasoning things, start thinking things. And and then we actually, we dilute, not that it changes the word of God, but we attempt to dilute the word of God to where it gives us somewhat of, of, of well, we try to attempt to, to justify whatever we're being influenced by the enemy or be, we're being flattered. So keep that in mind. Now, I want to 
I want to bring to your attention again how that when this particular passage of scripture that I'm going to read, verse 32 of the 11th chapter says, those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Now that's verse 32. Um, it gives us an understanding. There's going to be those that uh, will do wickedly against the covenant. Uh, they will be influenced by flattery, as we've already said. But thank God there is those that are going to be strong, those that will carry out the great exploits. Now, we see that even in this time frame of history, that is a, a symbolic example of what's going to take place in, the, in that of the tribulation. In this of God raises up, we see even that of a family. Uh, let's read verse 33. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many, yet for many days they shall fall by sword and flame, by captivity and plundering. The angel is telling us here, and I'm going to go somewhere with this in just a moment. Um, here the angel is given the prediction that there is still a group of wise people and they would teach many, uh, but for a while they would be delivered up to tribulation in four ways. Now, we're going to see this take place in the tribulation. Thank God for those 144 that will be sealed. They will actually preach and propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ, the two witnesses, and uh, these things. But even in the midst of the time of the persecution uh, and, and the tactics of Antichus, we see that even those that were killed by the sword, those were killed by the fire, there was those that were captured, and some would be robbed, and we've even spoke about that. Now, what happens is um, we, we find that there is a family by the name of Maccabees, and um, a large number of Jews recognized the corruption, the treachery, and all this false teaching of Antichrist, so there were those that they saw the truth, and they remained, the wisely attempted to remain faithful to God, and they attempted not only to remain faithful to God, they, they uh, wanted to teach others. Now, the name of this group would have been the uh, Hasidians, and uh, they revolted and fled into the mountains. And later, there's this joining with the Maccabees family, that actually fought against Antichus and uh, uh, and the rulers uh, who followed him. They also struggled for the independence. Um, some of this battling went on for uh, at least a hundred years or more. Now, the group that I mentioned just a moment ago, the Assyrians. I want to mention that there is a note in your textbook, but I want to go a little further and talk about them for a moment. Um, actually, they would have been a group that would have been recognized, as your textbook says, an orthodox religious sect of Jews. Now, I want to go a little further with that concept because actually they would have been known as a traditional branch of contemporary Judaism. Um, theologically, it is chiefly defined by regarding the Torah, both written and oral, on Mount Sinai, and faithful, or faithfully transmitted, um, and transmitted 
ever since. So these were a group of Orthodox religious Jews that attempted to stay faithful to the to the very Torah, to the to the written and the oral, and they join in with the Maccabees family, and many of them uh, died in in battle. They were uh, tortured. They they were uh, murdered and killed and captured. Um, a lot of their villages and camps were destroyed by the enemy. Um, also, what's interesting in reference to the Maccabees family is that the the father, uh, which was Ben uh, Matthias, he actually was a Jewish priest. And he actually remained faithful. Um, and uh, what had happened, he killed an unfaithful Jew. And the reason he done that was, and of course we know that Antichus the fourth, he actually did uh, the uh, abomination of desolation. He actually offered swine and pig on the altar in Jerusalem. Um, but this situation that I'm speaking of is that uh, priest uh, Matthias of uh, Maccabees, he actually goes to defend the holiness and uh, the righteousness of the very altar of God or the altar of the uh, the temple. And uh, so this individual was offering a heathen sacrifice at the temple. So we see in reference to this happening, uh, he took his five sons and they fled into the hills. Now, I think that's representative of those that will flee actually to that of um, Petra there in Jordan that will not be affected by the tribulation. It will be a place of safe haven for many Jews that will go there. Now, he took his five sons and the one that if you know anything, and if you've ever read the uh, writings of, of the Apocrypha, of that, of the uh, books that are between the Old and New Testament in that 400 uh, era of time that were written, uh, there's the books of the Maccabees, and uh, they're very historical. We don't have them uh, placed in our canon of 66. There is, I know, uh, some of your older um some of your older datings of the even King James uh, version of 1611 that would have inserted them. Um, I know in the uh, uh, Vulgate, uh, not the Vulgate, but the, um, the uh, Catholic uh, Bible, and for some reason uh, the translations just left me the name of it. Um, <coughs> but uh, there again, uh, those passages of uh, those passages and those books are are, are listed there. Uh, I think there's somewhere about 14 books altogether, if I remember correctly off the top of my head. I don't have those notes before me. And uh, the more you study, the more you realize what you don't know and sometimes retrieving what you uh, have studied or know that you know, but you don't know if you know it at the moment. Now, if all that made sense. So there again, you can follow up on that and check uh, how many there actually was. Uh, that's not a written assignment, but it's, it's just something you can do. Okay, let's move on. Um, the family were known at the Maccabees, and they definitely uh, attempt, well, not only attempted, they did. They started a very thorough 
um, revolt against Antiochus. And with that being uh, said, um, there was a lot of fighting. Judas Maccabees is very well known. And if you've read the Ma book of Maccabees, the two, uh, I would I would encourage you to read them. I would. Uh, some people say, well, you know, they're not canon. They're not scripture. Well, they're historically. There is a lot of information there that is very, very accurate, very, very appropriate to give us an understanding. And and there again, let me let me make a, a, a thought that maybe you've never thought about uh, with the fact that what takes place with the Maccabees and even the cleansing of the temple later and how we ended up with Hanukkah or the Jews, uh, the celebration of Hanukkah in that of uh, the frame of the time that we do um, in, in our culture and in, in, in the world, Christmas, we have Hanukkah. It doesn't necessarily fall exactly with Christmas sometimes, but it would have been when they cleansed the temple in the miraculous of the oil uh, for the menorah, where they, because the oil had to be processed, it had to be processed in, in a way for that of the sanctification. And they only had enough for one day. And of course, we know that it burnt uh, there about eight days. And so God miraculously kept the menorah lit by this uh, miraculous. And we know that the Maccabees were in reference to this. Now, why I said what I said is there is a reference to what took place in that time frame for there to be the winter fest, fest festival that we call Hanukkah, okay, and Jesus references it. Now, I'm not saying that we ought to canonize the books of Maccabees, but what's interesting is that that is one of the validations is when we see the credibility of a writing that lines up with something of scripture. And Jesus himself in John chapter 10 and verse 22 talks about that particular feast, the winter feast. And you can look that verse up, John 10 and 22, and it references back to that event, how that Hanukkah came about and how that winter feast is observed every year in Judaism. All right, with all that said, um, he he remained faithful. The Maccabees remained faithful, and they did revolt. Now, here is uh, something to consider. For a time, the seven years tribulation, the Antichrist will be given power uh, to make war against God's people. His goal will be to conquer them. There will be many. There will be many that will lose their life during the tribulation. If there's any hope of them going uh, and 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 getting to know God, they're going to give their life for, uh, they're going to give their life for their faith. Um, what we're going to see is also how the false prophet, he's going to raise up an image, um, and folks, we 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 get concerned sometimes and talk about the mark of the beast, and how that there's going to be those that's going to lose their life because they don't take the mark of the beast. Well. Here's where really the, the, the rubber meets the road if they don't kill you because you don't take the mark. Now, I'm just making an emphasis here of thought. Now, just follow me out. If they don't kill you because you don't take the mark of the beast, well, it's going to be 
a difficult process of living because you won't be able to buy or sell. Think about that. And we could take that a long ways of where that could go of where you have no resources coming in. You have no resources going out. You can't buy. You can't sell. You won't even be able to work. But here's the real kicker where the rubber meets the road. And, and this may sound hard to understand, but with AI that's been developed and AI that's coming, um, folks, if you don't bow and worship this image, they're going to kill you. So one or the other is going to get you. So all I can say is get ready now. Go into rapture or by the grave if the Lord tarries is coming. Or be willing to give your head. And why should you wait and do that? But I pray that God will give you the grace. If you, if you do miss the coming of the Lord and were to have to go through the uh, tribulation, if there's anyone that ever listens to this uh, teaching. Now, he goes on, and uh, the, the author of our text goes on and talks about the lukewarm. Let's look at verse number 34 of the 11th chapter. I'm just going to mention just a couple things here. Now, when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help, but many shall join with them by uh, in truth. Now, the angel again is, is speaking and he's talking about how that uh, they'll even be the wise of the Maccabees uh, that will fall. Um, they'll receive little help. There's going to be the insincere people uh, that's going to join them. So there's going to be an influctuation of those that really uh, are going to join, but really they're they're they're, they're lukewarm. They're, they're 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 on the fence. They. They're there for the moment. And, and you know, this just thought crossed my mind. I want you to think about it because, folks, I mean this the right way. Anytime that war touches the soil, it doesn't, it does matter. But what I mean is it, it does not have its place <clears throat> with favorality if it's in whatever country, nation, valley, land. And I mean this appropriate hell war is the next thing to hell. Innocent people are affected. Um, that's what is so sad about what's going on in even the Middle East now. Uh, even with those of Gaza, uh, there's families and things of that nature. And, and it's just terrible what's took place even with the Israelis, with the Palestinians, <clears throat> uh, those kind of things. So what I'm trying to say is, though, there are people that are affected because of whatever hunger and um, wickedness of the heart of even our nations and our governments and those that are motivating, such as we see in the Middle East right now, that are barbarian even to kill. Um, you know, I, I had a sergeant in, in uh, ROTC when I was in high school, and he began to tell us a few things because he served in the, he served in Vietnam, and this just popped in my head. See, some people and 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 I can understand the mentality of the people, but there again, I, I'm using this for an example because of the lukewarmness, trying to straddle the fence, uh, because some people are just trying to survive. 
some people are saying, hey, I don't want to be on the wrong side when it all when all the chips fall and everything begins to settle. But he told us about actually going in to areas of, of camps uh, or, or, or little towns and, and place villages. And he said, actually, even those in North Vietnam, a lot of times would actually two 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 things to consider here one the reason they would get involved to fight he said because times was that all they went there was to destroy their livelihood not i mean lives are going to be killed but he said like taking their livelihood going and destroying the rice paddies and he said these people would fight back then he said the other side of it was if you came through a village and you would feed them you would give them some protection. You would take care of them for whatever time that you're occupying that village. They didn't care what flag you put up. They didn't care if you put the American flag up. They didn't care what you put up because you were meeting a need. Now, I know that's a broad example, but that's lukewarmness in a way. We're, we're in a survival. But there again, in a sense, those that fought for their livelihood actually uh, were were passionate about their situation. Okay, with that being said, um, we, we do realize that uh, eventually um, uh, the, uh, they eventually lost the struggle, but not, uh, but not before they won several major battles, talking about the Maccabees. Uh, some of the victories were so impressive that the Jews thought that the Maccabees might win. But again, we've got the dilemma of the fence-sitting Jews. <laughs> defense sitting Jews. And folks, this 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 thought this crossed my mind. We cannot give land for peace. It doesn't work. That's sitting on the fence. All right, let me move on. All right, let's look down here where it's talking about. Um, let's go down here and t- see where it's talking about. Verse 35 of the 11th chapter. And some of those understandings shall fall to refine them, purifying them, and make them white until the time of the end, because it is still for the appointed time. So there's some things that are yet appointed. The angel again is speaking. Uh, He starts talking about um, those of understanding, the faithful uh, during this struggle, and that would have been speaking in reference to the Maccabees at this moment. And skips forward to the end of time. So we see the parallel. We see the, the, the shadow from what was being taking place here that Daniel's being told that was yet to come. But so it was prophetic. Now we look back historically and we're looking prophetically to the fact that the uh, tribulation is coming and how that this is a picture of, of things. Um, the angel is even given the understanding um, that there's going to be those that would fall. Um, there's going to be misfortune. Uh, they would continue their test of their zeal, and they would be faithful to the end. So that's what we want to emphasize, that even those that go through the great horrificness and that of, of, that of tribulation, our prayer is that they will stand true. They will they will not fall. They will continue with their zeal of faith until the very end. Now, let's let's kind of uh, uh, go back and let's look at some things that that are in the rims of 
how that where we were with Antichus and the northern king and all these um, all these things that he attempted to do to take the south and to be uh, the tyrant that he was to bring even uh, Syria to a world uh, domination and how we can see that this is going to be even uh, foretelling that of the end time. But coming back, let's give some thought about a couple things here. The Jews move from being under the control of the Syrian to being under the control of the Romans. Now, what we need to understand is even we have the Maccabee issue and we see the struggle, we see the victories. There again, what really brought about the uh, kind of a, a situation where it, well, it did. It assisted the it assisted the Jews in that of the oppression of the uh, Syrian. But there again, by 64 BC, we see the, the the greatness and the empire of the Romans coming into place. Um, we see how that even prior to this, how that Egypt had um, they had employed the uh, support um, of that of the Romans as they were advancing as an empire and then by 64 BC we see how the impact of the Roman Empire has taken where Rome overtakes Syria and this begins the control of the Jews. Now I won't get into this uh, deeply but I want you to understand something as early as probably 14 BC to getting down into the rim of the thought of when Jesus would have been born. It's believed somewhere in that time frame uh, that that uh, the, the uh, census, the taxation, there may have been more than one, there may have been several, but we see even in Luke's gospel chapter number two where we are even see the opening of the passage of the scripture in Luke 2, and I, I just want you to see this. It says, and it came to pass in those days, what days? Well, the Roman Empire now is in control. Uh, we're down somewhere, at least uh, the uh, the closing of, of the time of B.C. or before uh, the birth of Christ. And I don't know about you, and we won't split hairs over it. I, I believe that Jesus myself was born somewhere uh, no later um, than uh, 7 B.C., um, or early, I should say, I guess, because it, it declines, 7 B.C. Uh, to somewhere maybe around 4 B.C., and we can take some consideration from historical data of when Herod would have died and Jesus uh, and, and, and the uh, persecution to kill the two-year-olds. So that kind of gives us a window of time to think about in some of that period. But what we understand here is it says, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augusta. Now, who is Caesar Augusta? That is your emperor of Rome. Went out and decree uh, from Caesar Augusta that all the world should be taxed. Now, I'm not going to go into all the analogy about uh, Serenus, but I want you to hear something. And this taxing was first made when Serenus was governor of Syria. So there had to still be some influence of the previous 
Um, so we understand Rome is in control, but we still see even somewhere probably 14 BC, and, and, and I'm only saying that because of some notes that I've read in reference to the possibility when the issue or some taxation or sentencing uh, near the time of the birth of Christ. And we do know that with the travel and things like that, it could have been a wind of time. It's not like us having April the 15th here in the United States and your taxes is filed. And if you don't file your taxes, uh, you have to get an extension. If you don't get an extension, then there's even more penalties and da 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 da. Uh, but so, uh, and, and of course, you've got the census, and it, they, they don't do that in two weeks. They do it in a period of, 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 of you know a year or so and making the preparation every 10 years in the United States. So we understand even here what the process might have been even more extent in the, in the time frame of them going back to their own home country and the impact that the Roman Empire had to get this census, the number of the people, whatever taxation, and things of that nature. So those are just some things that I wanted to insert there uh, that I thought would be interesting because we can't just say that it all stopped with the the foreshadow of what's to come with, uh, with Syria or with Antichus. No more can we actually stop there as we even bring the thought of by somewhere close to 40 years after Jesus's crucifixion and death and resurrection that the control of Rome over the Jew they destroy by, by that of uh, uh, Titus. He comes in and they destroy the temple and there's no temple today, is there? There's a wall. There's a the, the Wailing Wall, or some call it the Western Wall. And so in 70 AD, uh, the temple is destroyed. Uh, and definitely at that time, we begin to see the dispersion of the Jew into the world. Now, what I, I find interesting is we have all the things that take place through the Middle Ages, and we don't have time uh, historically to talk about some of those things. And, and some of those things can be covered even in a good history class and definitely church history. But let me say this. This would have been one of the first uh, emphasis that we see the Jew being dispersed even more so into the world. We know that they were dispersed in that of 722 when there would have been the actual Assyrian attack and the 10 uh, tribes to the north uh, would have been invaded. And uh, so there was a scatter. Then we see that there's a scatter in 70 AD. We understand even James, the half-brother of Jesus, makes the statement and uh, in, 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 in James chapter 1, a servant of the Lord, James, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. So throughout history, we see this continuance of the Holy Land or Israel, their land, being uh, the disbursement of the Jew throughout the world. Um, so we see in all the countries of the world where the Jewish population, but we understand also from history, even though we can see that we've had the... the uh, We've had uh, the influence of, of the spirit of Antichrist with Hitler. Um, 
and the destruction there so greatly, so greatly and mighty. Uh, the Crusades, like I said, there's so many things that we could discuss here that are parallels of where God's people are in the picture, whether there was whether there was was uh, oppression and anti-Semitism and 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 murder and 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 things of that nature, them not even in their own homeland. The thing about it is, all of this was a progression, even some things in history. And I want to mention this: even even the influence of the United Kingdom bringing some things into play, even 1948. Even the First World War, the First World War, World War gives the opportunity for the Jew to begin to see the process of them to have a land to call home again. The Second World War, and definitely there has been such a movement of Jews going home from countries around the world, and definitely even some that may have not for been able to have even went, especially the males, to observe what the Torah says, that three times they're to, or they're, they're to go and observe the Passover, um, Pentecost, and even the Feast of Tabernacles. So we've seen this influctuation of the Jew going back home since the Second World War. So the First World War assisted. And see, some of this we don't see on the forefront. But what we need to understand is that the historical puzzle that God knows all things, there may be pieces through history that we see that have been recorded, such as Antichus. And, and, the, and the Syrian government and these different things in the Roman Empire, they are pieces of the puzzle for God to bring the eternal redemption to his people. And I'm getting off on something else right there. Oh, my goodness. I've got a scripture in my mind right now. And I know I've went somewhere from teaching almost to wanting to preach here. But Jesus, even I've got to tell you this, even the night that Jesus was breaking bread with his children or his disciples, he said uh, prior to going to, to the, uh, the, uh, the upper room, he tells them just prior, uh, maybe within the day before, I don't have it open with me, but it's in Luke chapter number 22. He talks about, look up, your redemption draweth nigh. We use that scripture for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Harpazo, the rapture. Folks, he was talking to the Jew there. I'm not saying that we can't have a double reference there, but he was talking to the Jew. You look up the redemption. Your redemption, he was talking for even that that was yet to come, that's going to be the process of what's taken place even 40 years after his death, burial, and resurrection with that of the Roman Empire, the impact through the ages of the Middle Age, the the, the different oppressions that took place for them even in the Second World War. Now there is a homeland and the Jew is going home. Now we see what's took place in, in, in the... Uh, seven day war we we see or six day war we see all these things that have taken place we can we cannot comment on all of them but even 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 as we have been taking this class 
uh, or the time setting of, of the recording in the class setting of, of this uh, Daniel. We see even October the 7th, 2023, putting a date on this, how that this is another piece of the puzzle within time. Folks, the nations are lining up. The leagues uh, of the 10 are, are lining up. Uh, nations against nation is lining up. War, uh, famine, pestilence, these things, they're already in the picture. So let's keep this in mind that the coming of the Antichrist is coming. Verse 36, then the king shall do accordingly to his own will. The king shall do accordingly to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every God, shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished for what has been determined shall be done. This is definitely speaking of the Antichrist. It is speaking of the Antichrist. The angel says this is another another revelation. And there's some things here that I want to just emphasize again. The characteristics of the coming Antichrist. We may have seen these characteristics in Alexander. We may have seen these in Antichrist. We may have seen it in those of, of Islamic uh, leadership and, and oppression. Uh, we may have seen it in the Third Reich and Adolf Hitler. We may see it with that of the enemies of Israel even today. But I want you to see these characteristics that again, through what the angel is telling Daniel here, he will be like a dictator with a military, a massive military. He will have worldwide support and whatever he says will be carried out. Now, I've, I've underlined that. I've put a star. I, I've, I've said this. This is the Antichrist. But I want you to hear what Daniel is telling us in the fourth chapter, verse 35. You can read it. God, <coughs> this is exactly what it's saying there without me reading the verse. <coughs> Excuse me. God is the one who does according to his will. Jehovah God, not the Antichrist. Alexander the Great and Antichus the Great were examples of kings in the chapter who did according to their own will. And you can look back at verse 3 and verse 16. And here we are in verse 36. And it tells us that he will magnify himself. He'll exalt himself above every god even if he realizes that there's other gods, even if they're pagan gods, he's going to exalt himself over those gods. That speaks of his boasting. That speaks of his spirit of satanic pride that we see in Ezekiel chapter number 14 and Isaiah chapter 14 when Satan arose and exalted himself or attempted to above God. He will boast of his abilities he will boast of his achievements and his greatness. And again, we emphasize how that this is nothing but self-exalting. Self-exalting, and we understand that uh, self-exalting people in this chapter is the Jews who aided Antiochus the Great. Now, even our text is telling us even those that, ex that assisted Antiochus, Jews, 
they were exalting themselves. They were not exalting God Jehovah that was their deliverer that had gave them a covenant promise all the way back into the Old Testament by the 12th, 15th, and 17th chapter of the book of Genesis with Abraham. They exalted themselves above, attempted to. It says he'll speak blasphemies against God of gods. Um, and I like what the textbook says in, in reference to, to, to the identity. Not I don't like what it says in the sense of what it is, but, but, but the emphasis means his speech will be filled with anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Bible, anti-Christian, anti-sentiment, and anti-church rhetoric. Christians and Jews will be persecuted and killed. You say, well, that's happened through the ages. Yes, it has. But just think what's going to take place. And and the writer, and I won't turn there, but you can go back and read. We've read these verses in the past. Daniel 7, 8 and verses 11 and 20 uh, talks about these things and talks about how that he'll speak with pompous words. Uh, he'll know what to say. It'll sound beautiful. It'll sound rhetoric that's beautiful. Uh, mm, I want to say something. There is people that can give a speech, and they're eloquent, and really, some of the times the the speech don't make a bit of sense. It ain't said nothing, but people will flock to it, and they'll follow that person. And you know what's happened? They've been drawn in to hear, to be persuaded. Uh, um. In Revelation chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, John the Apostle, he gives us an understanding that this person, the Antichrist, he's going to have a mouth and he's going to speak things that are great blasphemies. But you know what? There's going to be a lot of people that are going to hear them and they're going to think, oh, that's the best next, next, next thing to butter on the bread. And maybe you like a little honey in your, uh, your, your butter. Um These were on page 309 and 310. These are the five things that I'm, I'm, I'm discussing. So I'm on page 310 and I'm looking at uh, number four. Uh, he shall prosper till the wrath hath been accomplished. Speaks of a rapid rise to power over the earth. At his terrible end at the, at the set time in the lake of fire. So we see there is a defeat. And again, the emphasis of Antichus Infinis. Ephesians, the fourth is an example of a man in this chapter whose days are numbered. And we see that in verse number 24 of the book of Daniel, chapter number 11. And uh, I'm going to read that. Um, chapter 11, verse number 24. And he shall enter peacefully even upon the fattest places of the province. And he shall do that which is he will, and he will do that which his fathers have not done, nor his fathers' fathers. He shall scatter them, scatter among them the prey and the spoil and the riches. Yea, and he shall forecast his devices against the stronghold, even for a time. So he's going to do it for a period of time. He, he his time is limited. Okay. Um, for what he has determined shall be done. It means everything that has been prophesied will be fulfilled. 
Yes, there's a time, but everything is going to be fulfilled. It's going to be accomplished. The Antichrist will say unheard things against the God of gods. Now, um, Grant R. Jeffrey, I'm not sure that I'm going to read everything that he said on page 310, but he did say this, in total contrast to Jesus who came to do his father's will, the Antichrist will do according to his own will. Uh, the coming of the coming prince of darkness will be a true child of this age of assertiveness, self-promotion, and self-will. He will exalt his own sinful desires against all opposition until he is defeated by Christ. Now, um, let's let's uh, move along with uh, these other four things that are mentioned in that of page 310 and 311. These are some other things about the Antichrist. I know some of these overlap uh, and speak some of the same. It says, here are four more things the angel revealed to Daniel about the coming Antichrist. Um, these are gods he will not honor. Uh, let's look at the verse of scripture that ties in with that. Verse 37, he shall regard neither the God of his fathers. Now, this is interesting, and I'm going to comment about it. His fathers, nor the desire of woman, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. Now, let me say this, first of all, Satan did not keep his true identity. He was a holy, divine, righteous creation of God, and he attempted to exalt himself over God. So what we see here that I think that's interesting is Daniel says, or the angel tells Daniel, that he will not even regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. Now, I'm going to go ahead and just throw this out. Because actually, first of all, he says he's not going to regard neither the God of his fathers. Some say this is unclear. And there's the plural and there's the, the, uh, there's the, the singular and the pure, plural, plural excuse me, of God or gods with this passage of Scripture that some, some reference uh, in, in, in Scripture that it's gods and some say that it's God. Now, the um, New King James Version here, um, it says the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, any God. Now, in verse 37, I want to look and see. I didn't look just a moment ago, but I will um, and, and look uh, and see. It says God in the regular King James. And I haven't really referenced that with any other translations, and you can. But we find that there's this uh, indication that he will come from a pagan gentle, Gentile family that worships many gods. But the singular form God indicates that he will come from a monotheistic family. Okay, I'm going to stop right there and I'm going to give you, uh, first of all, we need to realize the background or the heritage of the Antichrist is being spoken of here. Uh, there's many people that have tried to figure out 
well, where will he come? Will he be Jewish? Will he be Gentile? What, 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 what are the possibilities of this, that, and the other? All right, first of all, we need to remember, even if it's God or gods, um, we need to realize that we're not talking about Jehovah God here. Now, we are in the reference that uh, it says God of his fathers. Um, we, we understand that that could give the, the understanding of Jehovah God, and there's a reason we're saying that. But but actually, we have the poly and we have the monotheism, and of course, uh, poly would be one. Uh, excuse me, mono would be one, and poly would be multiple. And there's where this emphasis in in some of the translation of <coughs> different versions of the God or gods. Well, let's just make it like this: if it's not Jehovah God. It is a God or it's God's, and it's not it's not Jehovah God. But also what we need to reference here or consider is whether he will be Gentile or Jew is debatable. But the text clearly indicates that he will be unlike um, Antichus Ephenes, who esteemed Zeus and built temples for the gods of his ancestors. Uh, family, religion, and heritage will mean nothing to him. Whatever the Antichrist, whoever he is, whatever his heritage has been, he in he is going to at some point, he is going to, uh, he is going to show his true colors, and he's not going to be allegiant to any whatever his heritage has been, and so therefore. If the Antichrist is a Jew, and I have a tendency to believe he is, or he's got to, or especially the false prophet, they've got to be deceptive with their lineage. Um, there again, so we could see with this fact that he is going to defile, he's going to exalt himself as God. He's not going to accept anything that has been in his lineage. Whatever his lineage says, if he's Jew, if he's Gentile, he's going to exalt himself over any other deity. And definitely, he's going to blaspheme the name of Jehovah God. Now, I thought this interesting also because I've heard this and I've not really put a lot of study into it. Some even take the tendency to believe that the Antichrist may have, may may be a uh, homosexual. He could be trans. I mean, but uh, because of the terminology here, not a desire for uh, a woman, nor to the desire of a woman. Now, I did think that this was interesting, the concept that's being given here in your textbook, that, and especially from the time of Antichus, and then uh, prior to that, there were, in the Jewish, in the Jewish mindset and biblical or Old Testament covenant, they were looking for a Messiah. So it would have been one of definitely many Jewish women uh, that were considering the fact of somebody that was going to mother the Messiah. And so some have even related this. Could that have something to do with that, that he doesn't even regard 
the fact of any desire of the woman uh, in reference to uh, Christ. And see, the thing about it is, he would have had to have some knowledge of them looking for a Messiah. Instead, he is with that terminology of uh, nor the desire of a woman, which some say it's unclear, was he actually downplaying the covenant promise or that of even a woman's desire and knowing the Messiah? He wants to, he does not want to recognize it. He wants to uh, annihilate the thought. He wants to exalt himself that he's the Messiah. <clears throat> it's something to think about. Um, and then, of course, we do have scripture. And I won't turn there, but our, script, our our text does tell us in our syllabus, I mean, not our syllabus, but our textbook, it references that of, of uh, 1 Timothy and also 2 Timothy, but 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3 and 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3 and verse 3 um, in reference to that uh, there's going to be those that will forbid uh, marriage uh, and natural affection. And we are seeing that already with homosexuality and transition, transition, uh, well, I can't even talk, well, you know what I'm trying to say. Uh, So there's those that are forbidding marriage in the term of what biblical and what marriage is. (laughs) All right. Um, Thirdly, he, nor regard any God. He will be an unbeliever or an apostate, uh, one who will not worship anyone. God, because he will sit in the temple and declare that he's God. He's going to even have by the false prophet an image of himself. Um, So we see how that he's not going to regard any other deity. So, hey, if you're Islamic, hey, you know what? Sorry. No, I'm not really sorry. Uh, He ain't going to recognize Allah. Um, If you believe in Buddha, he ain't going to recognize Buddha. He ain't going to recognize Jesus Christ. Uh, Let's get real here. Let's get real. Um, It's coming down. It's coming down. But the real come down is coming when he's going to come down. Um, Number four, he will exalt himself above them all. And it's repeated, uh, is a repeat of 36 verses and verifies other statements that his ultimate goal will be to have everyone worship him. So what we see again that we can emphasize that these 36 verses are saying, um, he's going to exalt his will. He's going to definitely exalt himself. He's going to magnify himself. Uh, his very acknowledgement and um, acknowledgement of God. And uh, it's going to be astonishing in nature how that he actually um, does this exalting himself. And uh, how that... Uh, even in the natural, how he he attempts to belittle the deity 
of God. <laughs> now, um, I was looking at some notes and I didn't get them wrote down and I apologize. But the Antichrist will be involved in New Age teaching at its very worst. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you, we are already seeing the New Age. We see it where people are exalting themselves. They're, they're exalting themselves even above the authority of the Word of God. And uh, this definitely will bring a blasphemy to God of heaven. Um and then uh, we, we, we see that multitudes will absolutely refuse to worship the Lord God Almighty. This is what's going to take place. This is what's taking place now. And they will gladly worship the demon-possessed man as their God. They're going to be indoctrinated. What do you think is taking place now? Folks, listen. The public education, the the uh, the institutes of learning, they are indoctrinating our children. My wife and I, we had the honor to be able to homeschool uh, two of our grandchildren for uh, two, three years. And yes, they've moved on now to high school to do some early college with that. But I believe with the background of, of their home life and what's been instilled in them, they've heard the truth. And folks, what's sad, there's so many families today that God is not in the family at all. And if there's a family Bible, it's just because it's just a book that we have in the house, but it's not opened. Children are not even in church. There's children that don't even know what a church is unless it's for a wedding or a funeral. And that's sad today, but our our education system is indoctrinating our kids with that that will give them the reasoning to think as this movement continues. Now, I know I'm getting off, but let me move on. Um, in Daniel eleven thirty eight, but in their place, he shall honor a God of fortress and a God which his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. <clears throat> now, um, Daniel eleven thirty seven is definitely uh, been speaking about the Antichrist. Um, the Antichrist will sell his soul for power. Uh, fortress is a symbol of power. Um, he will spend great wealth to acquire it. And where is he going to get some of that wealth? He's going to ex exploit others. He will spend great wealth to acquire it and will use it to honor his God. And who is the true God? It's going to be Satan. It's going to be Satan. Um, I'm going to read just a few things out of the book here as we're going to attempt to uh, get to a place where we can wrap this uh, here shortly. Um it is critical to remember that John pictured this Satan worship worshiper coming forth as a man of peace, carrying a bow and no arrows. Remember that? But going out conquering and to conquer, Revelation 6, 2. He will receive his power from Satan and make war on God's people. 
We see that in Revelation 13, verses 4 through 7. He will be like Antichus Ephenes, who inquired much, who acquired much of Egypt's wealth through lies at the conference table. Then he returned home through Israel and stopped long enough to let the troops plunder, kill, rape, and make war on the Jews. Now these are these are passages of scripture in Revelation, chapter twenty. Uh, excuse me, chapter thirteen. The Antichrist will confirm a covenant of peace with Israel at the beginning of the tribulation period and be captured while his troops are plundering, killing, raping, making war on the Jews at the end of the tribulation period. And he gives us scripture, uh, our text does, Daniel, Daniel 9, 24 through 27. You can read those, Zechariah 14, 2. <laughs> and then as we get into Revelation chapter 19, verse 20, we see the ending of of the conclusion of things of the defeat and and the conquering of, of the antichrist what else should people expect from a man whose god is a murderer and the father of lies and of course that relates back to who satan is and jesus himself proclaimed that in john chapter 8 verse 44 that he was the father that he was a murderer from the beginning and a father of lies oh if you ever thought about this the first murder was not Cain killing Abel. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The first murder was when Satan came in the garden and he deceived. They took of the fruit and what was it he said? Surely you won't die. That was his whole purpose, was to murder, to bring death to the very crown the, the, the very crown glory of God, which is me and you. We're his crown creation. Man is. Uh, it's, in, it's also important to remember that during the tribulation, the Antichrist and his false prophet will establish a one world religion with demon possession and Satan worship being major characteristics. Revelation chapter seven. All right. I want to say something here. There's those that want to take in their studies of the book of Daniel and Revelation and end time or eschatology, and they want to build different religions. And I can understand that. I honestly believe that the Antichrist will use whatever he wants to use. What I mean by building is that he will attempt to use any, as we continue with our thought, the Antichrist will definitely be influenced by the fact that there will be many religions and even those that are attempting now to find Christianity when he takes power. What I'm attempting to say here is that, of course, he's going to exalt himself over every deity, every god or deity and he's going to uh, denounce all of these others. What I'm attempting to say that I don't think I've come out of my mouth to start with uh, is that every religion in the world possibly has some concept of end time things. Um, and there's those that believe particular um, movements or religions will have an 
actual part in the end time events that may even be um, tools that Satan will use. And I, I can't totally disagree with that. Um, I know there's some that teach that Catholicism, uh, Islam, um, things of this nature. So I'm not attempting to go into those things to, to defend or to rebuttal or whatever. But I, I believe that he'll use whatever tool he can use to exalt himself and to then put down those things. Now, even with that being said, we know that he will establish a one world government. We do know that he will even denounce if there has been any kind of previous uh, history uh, uh, in his um, in his uh, lineage or uh, his um, heritage. Um, so I just wanted to insert that uh, on page one. Excuse me, on page three twelve. There's a chart. And it talks about religion of the Antichrist. And it, and actually, um, we want to just mention this. And there's passages of scripture that uh, some of these we've already referenced several times in our study of the book of Daniel in, in the classes. So I would encourage you if you want to go and read or, or to read these with it. But I'm going to make the, the mentions that are here. Some of these we've already talked about. But I just want to reemphasize Religion of the Antichrist, this this is what's going to be his motives, his characteristics. And then uh, most of these scriptures are coming out of Daniel that we've already read and studied. Uh, the first one is he will persecute the saints of the Most High. And, of course, we saw that even with uh, the previous of Antichus. Uh, we've seen it down through history where the saints of God indefinitely will see it during the tribulation period. And Daniel 7.25 talks of that. Uh, he will under under he will understand censor schemes, so he will not only do that that's wicked, evil, and censor. He will understand uh, those plots. Daniel eight thir excuse me eight, Daniel eight, eight verse twenty three. He will just desecrate the Jewish temple, so it's been done by uh, that of Antichus. Um, we can see how even the Romans destroying the temple was a desecration in some aspect. Uh, we understand that uh, the Matthias um, Maccabees actually killed an individual that was going to offer um, a uh, false um, a false um, offering on the uh, altar, and uh, so we see that he'll desecrate the temple also with the. Um, abomination of desolation Daniel 9 26 <laughs> and he will seize the kingdom by intrigue he will be that one that uh, actually will impress by what he says what he does uh, things like that he will speak blasphemies against the God of gods Daniel 11 36 he will act against the strongest fortress with a foreign God Daniel 11 39 um, he will receive the authority from the dragon, or we could say Satan himself, Revelation 13, 4, and I'll repeat what I've said. He will be the devil incarnated in flesh. Um, the last point here, under the religion of the Antichrist, he will be drawn into the battle of Armageddon by demonic spirits. So, um, 
that's interesting to, to comprehend there in Revelation 16, verses 13 through 14. Again, we find in verse 39 of the um, 11th chapter, the, the re-emphasis that our writer is, is writing in our textbook that we've already mentioned about uh, verse 39, um, how that um, it says, thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with the, the foreign god, uh, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. Um, he's going to rise as a man of peace, but he is really a man of war. Let's remember that. Um, he'll quickly attack any strong powers on the earth um, with the help of, of whatever. And, and that goes back to what I was talking about with foreign gods called the God of Fortress. That God is the God of this world, Satan. So, uh, and, and I believe what I was trying to emphasize just a few minutes ago, he will use whatever false religion or God to bring in whatever to exalt himself. And of course, this will be motivated by the, of the working of the enemy, which is Satan. He'll use flattery, uh, bribes uh, for those to uh, follow him. Uh, again, we can't re-emphasize enough how the, the example of Antichus Ephenes IV, uh, who entered into a false covenant with Egypt, is an example. Um, so he would lull, lull her uh, asleep and plunder uh, many of the great provinces. Uh, then he used the booty to buy the support of renegades who would help him continue his crime spree and of course, we reemphasize verse number 24. And uh, <clears throat> um, goes on here, and it says, There will be some of the censor schemes and intrigues of Satan's man. He will influence people to take the mark of the beast. Uh, then, of course, worship to him. And, of course, he'll even reward some of these people with what he has stolen, plundered, and he has uh, used in his own powers. In Daniel 1140, it says, at the, at, the, at the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, and with many ships. And he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. Now, in Daniel 1140, it, it says, or what, it, what it's doing is referring to the end of the times of the Gentiles, not the end of the world. Um, some people, they, they talk about the end of the world like it's going to be yesterday. There is a process. Um, there's, there's going to be even things during the tribulation where even some of these nations that we've talked about and that uh, is going to be um, used by the Antichrist. Um, there's... There's three points here that we'll take and look at just a moment. Uh, they'll be uh, referring to the four-nation Arab coalition led by Egypt. Uh, the third beast in chapter 7 is such a kingdom. This coalition will engage the Antichrist in battle. So we're going to still see some emphasis of this, this south and north, and how the Antichrist is going to use this. And, of course, you've got to remember Israel, the Holy Land, uh, is right smack in the middle of all this. Two, um, up to this point, the king of the north has always referred to Syria. 
But starting with this verse, the king of the north is probably a coalition of northern nations, and some believe this could be even Syria, uh, Russia, and others. And folks, Syria has a lot of influence in Middle East uh, situations that's going on. The uh, uh, This is some things that our, our writer of our text is implementing, thought. This attack on the Antichrist will probably be Russia's second attempt to take control of the Middle East by force. Um, and there's talk here about um, Gog and the land of Magog uh, to lead a coalition. And some believe this is uh, going to even be through that of uh, invasions, possibly Russia being involved. Uh, and we know now that there is the force of nuclear we're getting into other areas of of um, space and uh, even in uh, president trump's administration emphasizing and implementing um, space force but even our writer in the time of our text it talks about the possibility of of uh, chariots and cal calvary uh, and, and, you know, it would be interesting to see some of the former uh, military tactics and in, in, in usage. And so with that being said, and even naval forces, the advancements, but yet sometimes just that that would not even be thought of being used might be something that would be um, useful that the enemy would not be um, expecting. Number three, <clears throat> the Antichrist will strike back with a great force and satanic power. <clears throat> He's going to defeat the forces of the, of the North and South. And, of course, this is going to give the Antichrist the opportunity to take a stronghold in the Middle East or the Middle Eastern countries and to um, overwhelm them. It's believed that we need to be watching and taking consideration that there'll be a coalition of nations stationing troops in the Middle East. Uh, there'll be a coalition of nations in Africa. There'll be a coalition of nations north of, of Israel. And I know that we could take uh, some time and, and study more of Daniel 11, 40, verses uh, 40 through 45, and those of Ezekiel 38 and 39. Some uh, have the tendency to believe that these are the scriptures are paralleling and lining up together with that of the uh, incoming or the upcoming invasions that even Russia will be a part of to invade uh, Israel. Um, even if there is uh, the combination of one, one invasion or if there's two invasions, some describe that uh, there'll be a second one and that uh, there'll be uh, uh, the explanation of the nations of Persia, Gomer, and uh, Tomar are mentioned in Ezekiel, but not in Daniel, and why the Antichrist is mentioned in Daniel, but not in Ezekiel. So those are some some things that people bring up. The invasion could be to plunder and to loot, while the second invasion could be to oppose the Antichrist. To oppose the Antichrist. So those are the things to consider when you begin to to bring the analogy of studying these passages of Scripture. And uh, so I would encourage you as a student to, to look further into the fact of these being merging scriptures to speaking more of uh, an invasion or multiple invasions.
In verse 41, he shall also enter the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. Um, we need to understand the whole world will suffer. There's going to be uh, the effect of the Antichrist, uh, but also um, the Middle East will be a major. It'll be a hot spot. It'll be the center of, of things. The Arabs will want to destroy the nation of Israel because of their ancient hatred and because they will want to retake the Temple Mount. Um, the Antichrist will want to occupy Israel so he can maintain a foothold on the Middle East to protect his, and it's believed to be his oil supplies and also um, the worship in the temple, which exalts him. Now, there'll be many nations that will want to take Israel. Um, so there's 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 the issue of the thought of of economic things, which we take in um, that of oil, seizing oil. Um, and, of course, we know the Antichrist is going to loot. We see that he's going to rob, he's going to steal, he's going to control He's going to manipulate. And so there could be struggles in the economical areas of, of countries and why they might want to take a stronghold in the Middle East. And I think we already see that uh, in, in things that we see every day. Um, there's three things that we can learn that's being mentioned here about verse number uh, 41 that we read just a moment ago. And let's look at what it's saying here. It said, uh, he shall also enter into the glory land, glorious land. And of course, uh, this is talking about the uh, Antichrist, and he's talking about him moving into Israel. It's um, uh, consisting with uh, chapter 9, um, where we learn that uh, he's going to give a covenant. And of course, we know that uh, he's going to break that covenant in, in three and a half years. And the latter part of that three and a half years of the tribulation is going to be horrific. Um, it's believed by this verse 41 there's going to be many nations that will be overthrown. Um, we see that uh, this includes the north and the king of the south um, and definitely all their allies. And the Antichrist will drive and they will, they will attempt, there will be forces that will attempt to drive the Antichrist out of the Middle East. But he will resist, and of course his power. And then this is interesting too, because this reference in verse 41, um, where it's talking in reference to, um, but these shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. Now, it's interesting that... Um, the the prominent people of Ammon, and you can go back to the Old Testament and, and get some reference to where these uh, tribes and these people come from, and um, I won't go into all that right now, but we even can remember that even the lineage of Christ through uh, even uh, Ruth, she was a Moabite. Um, I'll mention that, and, and then we see in, in uh, chapter 11, verse 41, uh, there's reference uh, to three areas in the nation we call Jordan. So these areas that we're talking about um, is in the area that's the nation of, of Jordan. <laughs> the capital of Jordan is Ammon. 
and it's a name derived from Ammon, which would have been one of the uh, tr one of the tribal people, and that Israel confronted even coming into the promise of the uh, of that of the the promised land. Uh, the area will be spared during the tribulation period, and this is where we find Petra. It's located in the southern Jordan, and it definitely has been referenced to be the very place that many Jews will flee for the last part of the seven, or excuse me, or the last part of the seven years or the three and a half. And so uh, this will be an area where they will be able to inhabit and be spared. Now, um, there's going to be definitely a presence of some military presence in the land of Egypt, and he's going to continue to use this even as a place of base. Uh, how many countries is not stated that it's going to be affected by this, um, but we understand that even maybe a third time um, that... Uh, there's going to be some emphasis of, of the strength here of the Antichrist and using even the Middle East as, as a territorial base. And it is plain that God intends for Egypt to be one of the nations uh, dominated by the Antichrist. Now, um, today there is a uh, emphasis of Muslim uh, and fanatics. Also, we, we know that um, Egypt has been very um, vivid in history. Um, so keep these things in mind um, as you read and study because verse 42 says, He shall stretch out his hand against the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. So there's going to be uh, retribution there with that of whatever the Antichrist power uh, Egypt's going to fall. He's going to uh, be plundered, uh, or she's going to be plundered by that of the Antichrist as he will plunder other nations. Um, there will be even a reason that he will plunder and want to conquer Egypt is a lot of times we may not think of Egypt being of a world standard but we need to understand there's articles of gold and silver uh, that have been displaced, uh, displayed, uh, and they're in many places around the world. But also we understand that there will be some importance of some of this wealth that will be in the treasures of even that of Egypt that he will take advantage of. Let's move on to verse 44, because, but news from the east and the north shall trouble him, and therefore he shall go out with a great fury to destroy and annihilate many. Now, it's believed that there will be uh, a little time to actually celebrate some of his conquering, uh, and it's emphasized here possibly uh, victories that are in some of the African nations. And uh, we've got to remember that some of that could be uh, Muslims, some of that could be uh, uh, believers. It could be, it's interesting, you know, because of the, the makeup of the continent there. But, and then uh, him wanting to go after the riches 
um, of the very uh, countries of, the, of Africa. Um, another thing that's being said here that I think we need to take in consideration for a moment, it's talking about uh, the news from the east and the north shall trouble the Antichrist. And uh, it's believed to be possibly that the east would be even talking about the possibility of China and going to the north, maybe the, the uh, League of Nations that will be with Russia. And uh, so with that being said, um, even during um, the last uh, couple years, uh, my timing might be off just a little bit, but, but uh, it's not been that very long ago of this recording, <laughs> that there's evidence of the Euphrates River drying up in places. Um, this could be very um, this could be very important point because if China is the nation that's being referenced here as um, that of the Army of the East, um, according to the prophecy, the Euphrates River will dry up, and a twenty excuse me a two hundred million man army, China and her allies. So we have no idea who all those allies might be. Uh, think about think about that for just a minute, minute just in the, the Asian area of China. I mean, we could be talking about North Korea. We could be talking about, uh, uh, we could be talking about uh, some other places. And th that was the first one coming to my mind. But some of the areas that, that China has had definitely an influence. Um, they're going to possibly through the fact of using the Euphrates River move move and, and manipulate and move right into that of the Middle East by using that as a route uh, to travel. And uh, so identifying the king of the north, some say is a problem, but uh, Russia and her allies will, they're going to suffer some defeats. And, and uh, so you know, it, it's, it's possibly that um, these northern armies will be nations around the world, such as that of Russia and Turkey and Syria and Lebanon. We already know that there's pacts and there's agreements and and uh, them working together, um, even in our time. Um, they are going to be uh, those that... Um, possibly are going to even strike at the Antichrist. Um, but uh, um, there's going to be um, many. Can you imagine how many people will die in this battle? Matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, I believe there's scripture in the book of Revelation that says the blood will flow to the horse's uh, brow. And so we can just imagine the bloodshed that's going to take place, especially even with 200 million troops uh, on the ground. So, um, Jeffrey, uh, uh, Grant R. Jeffrey says this, um, he says the Eastern armies will fight as they march across Asia, killing one third of humanity in their path. The final battle will center on the Valley of Jezreel, also called the uh, Plain of Estralon. Uh, to a place called in the Hebrew, and there's where we get the word Armageddon. Um, let's, let's look at what, uh, Charles Swindoll, an excellent teacher, uh, he's, uh, bringing out 
uh, a thought from Revelation 16, verses 12 through 16. Uh, no doubt he will make his final stand on the plain of Megiddo or Jezreel in the center of Israel as the Hordes uh, from the east, probably China, and the Antichrist forces from the west descend on Israel and stage and the stage will be set for the final conflict, the Battle of Armageddon. <clears throat> now, we're getting to a moment of victory here. Uh, the next subtitle is No More Antichrist. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's just take a moment and say praise God. Um, this verse 45, as we are closing the 11th chapter here, it says, And he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end, and no one will help him. Even the armies of this world, even those that he has manipulated, the power that he has, there is going to be a final conclusion of the Antichrist and his uh, his empire and reign. <clears throat> um, as we said before, the Antichrist will locate his military headquarters um, or he'll have um, uh, his uh, military headquarters even near the end of the tribulation. They're going to be between the seas. Most people have some tendency to believe that this is talking about Jerusalem, near Jerusalem. It's talking about between the Mediterranean and the uh, Dead Sea, uh, referencing the Glorious Mountain, which can mean Jerusalem, also Mount Zion. He shall come to the his end. And uh, this is a reference to the perusal. This is talking about the second coming, when actually Jesus Christ will mount the, mount the white horse and us as saints that have been raptured with him, we will return with him. And I uh, understand that the possibilities of this, because we're his bride, where it says with armies, this could be the this could be the um, warriors of heaven. This could be even with uh, Michael the archangel. We know that Christ as the um, commander-in-chief will be heading this up. We will be following uh, on horses behind. And uh, there's very well possibly the armies of heaven uh, could be angelic hosts. But one thing for sure, we know when the conquering takes place that he's going to actually conquer with the sword that comes out of his mouth, which is the word of God is how he's going to conquer. So, um, in a reference to the second coming of Jesus with the armies of heaven, the capture of the Antichrist, and the Antichrist being thrown alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we see how that this is going to begin to come about uh, with the finalization of that of the Antichrist being defeated by the Lord Jesus Christ at his second coming. As we conclude with this uh, study of the 11th chapter, before we go into some of our wrap-up and look at our study questions, um, let's close with the thought that uh, David Jeremiah uh, with C.C. Carlson, 
a statement they make because I think this gives us kind of an analogy or, or a, a thought of conclusion. When the nations that are gathered together against Jerusalem see the Lord's army in heaven coming after them, they will forget about the fact that they're at war with each other. Just think about that. They'll be fighting each other, and then they're going to see this magnificent, uh, glorious thing that's taking place, which will be fearful. Uh, matter of fact, I'm going to inter interject this, and I've, I've told this before. I have a picture in my study, and some of you have probably seen a picture similar to this, and it's the Lord on a white stallion, and he's got the sword coming out of his mouth, and uh, he's in the clouds coming, and uh, there's the host of those that are behind him on horses, and that being uh, the saints of God. And uh, I had a Bible teacher, I'll never forget it, we were talking about that picture one time, or he had a picture of it, and then uh, I found the picture and wanted a copy of it, or a print of it, but anyway, he uh, told our class, and I've never forgotten it, he says, I'll tell you right now, he said, if you see this, and you're looking at him on the white stallion, and you're not seeing the tail of that white stallion swinging, stallion swinging, he said, you're on the wrong side of this. Now, that's not humorous, that's a fact. If we're not behind our Lord Jesus Christ, on, mounted on our horses and don't see the swinging of the white tail of the stallion that he's mounted on, we are on the wrong side of the picture. Um, so anyway, they're going to forget about the fact that they're at war with each other. Uh, they will all get together and decide that they are going to fight against the Lord. Uh, that's stupid, ain't it? All the, in, all the armies with their military leaders are advanced technology won't have a chance. After the Antichrist is captured and the false prophet too, the two of them will be thrown alive into the lake of fire. Now I want to make an emphasis here. Also, the other part of that ungodly, unholy trio or trinity is another way to say it, will be cast into the lake of fire too. And that's Satan himself, the great dragon. And I want you to see something else. They will not go to hell. They will go directly into the lake of fire because in the book of Revelation, we're taught and told and informed that hell will be brought forth and hell itself will be cast into the lake of fire after the white throne judgment. So keep that in mind. And that's another thought of, of, of some end time and the ending and, and the judgments and things of that nature. Now, we've got uh, about, uh, what, uh, one, two, three, uh, four, five, about five bullet points, and it gives us kind of a summary of what um, what is taking place uh, with this particular chapter. Now, I'm assuming you have read it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to cop out and, and not read this again. Um, I want you to take time to read it, your chapter wrap up, because it's talking about things that we've already discussed in reference to King Cyrus and, and Darius and uh, the Persians, the Greeks, Alexander, um, the uh, North and the South uh, kingdoms, 
uh, Atticus, and uh, then of course even some of what we've just uh, brought up about Armageddon and the destruction and, and the capture of that of the Antichrist, and that's exactly what is being emphasized in the 40 through 45 of, of the 11th chapter, that there's going to be the conquering and the end of the Antichrist. <clears throat> okay, I want to do I do want to look at the study questions and I want to give you a reminder that they are to be typeset. Be sure to put your name on your paper uh, and your student ID number or your CID, um, the date of the paper, the name of the class, and I do prefer to have the pages number if you have more than one page for each assignment at the end of these um, chapters. So with chapter 11, there's five questions, like always, um, type them, uh, the question, and then type the answer. What does this chapter teach about the, per, uh, the permanence of Gentile world kingdom? So uh, take some time to, to look at that where you have studied, you have read the text, you have read your scriptures, you have went through your syllabus, and I know I haven't touched on the syllabus through this lesson, uh, per se, just running through it, but I do want to say your answers, you will find them in the book. Number two, what do we learn about the ambition of some leaders from the constant struggles between the kings of the north and the kings of the south? So, Take a, a look at that and give some answer to that. I apologize if you hear my puppy dog in the background. Uh, his name is Sam, and he is one more character. He's a border collie. Well, let me get back to my, my point here. Number three, contrast the beginning of the career of the Antichrist with the end of his career. Contrast the beginning and the end of that of the Antichrist or his career. Number four, where will the Antichrist get his power and what will it take to overcome him? Now, boy, that, that's a message within itself. And then lastly, our last question is, will the Antichrist be a man of peace or a man of war? Well, we're going to conclude with that today. And I really want to say that I appreciate all of those that have taken the time to go through the book of Daniel with us. And especially this 11th chapter has been very lengthy. And we have done it in the parts that we have done, four parts. We will be coming back shortly and we will conclude this course study with chapter 12. God bless you. Until the next time.